Hi, welcome to And It's Writing, a live streaming podcast where two writers have a few drinks and some laughs while we revise our old work or discuss writing-related topics. I'm Amy. I write adult fantasy. I also self-publish under the pen name Avery Ames. What I'm working on is I am I'm sending blurb letters, which I was not told about before this whole process started. <laughs> and they are the most terrifying part of the publishing process. Uh, it's when you have to approach other authors who are published that you admire greatly and be like, hey, I love you. Please read my book and and tell me something <laughs> about it so we can put it on the cover so that other people will also read my book, please. And you're kind of like going up like, hello. Say nice things to me, please. Will you? Please, please read my book. Please. So <laughs> it's it's very nerve wracking. Um, so that's what I'm working on now. Um, what I'm reading is I have been reading a lot. Um, I've been refreshing my memory and reading some books for this blurb project. Uh, what I'm reading right at the moment is The Book of Gothel by Mary McMine. And it is a kind of retelling, like a historical retelling of Rapunzel from the witch's perspective, from the like Rapunzel's which mother perspective. I'm enjoying it very much so far. I'm not very far into Yay. it. I'm only like three chapters in. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm DC, speculative and historical fiction writer. I'm especially tired today. So if I say anything stupid, I'm sorry. I have a new, I'm helping my partner raise a new puppy and he's very helpless and it's left me very tired. Oh man, it's, I'm tired. <laughs> so <laughs> I am a speculative <laughs> historical fiction writer. If I didn't say that, I am currently, I am currently working on. I just switched back to a. I, I switched my projects to a new book. Um, now I'm working on an actual historical fiction with like a paranormal edge. It takes place. It's like a gay dog book that takes place <laughs> in Newfoundland. You're doing research raising a puppy. I I am so so tired. <laughs> I am currently, I'm still reading Cam Girl, but I'm also reading um, Hour of the Witch by Chris Bojellian because he kind of is writing around the Salem Witch Trials, which kind of happens mm. around the same time as my book. So I'm just kind of seeing how people write dialect. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Because like dialogue is real and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to fill my books with these and thighs. And I'm just trying to decide how I want to handle that. Uh, who knows if they yeah. actually talked that way, you know? <laughs> like, did they, though? Did they? Well, and especially, they like, did. yeah. Because especially, like, the region and time period and stuff you're doing, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> my gosh. Oh, I can't, I can't wait to research my ass off. <laughs> Today, we'll be discussing making promises at the beginning of your book, as well as the related topic of foreshadowing. And this is our usual reminder that writing is not all about rules. So when we're writing, we sometimes need to break them as well. We're both believers that if the rules feel too suffocating or overwhelming, just ignore them and write. Fuck it. Fuck it. That is our life philosophy. Fuck it. <laughs> so for the drink, we always do like a themed drink. And I had this like cute idea to do something along the lines of like a pinky swear, pinky promise for promises. And I thought it would be like a really cute idea. That's why I'm wearing my little pink onesie. Um, and then I made I made a very beautiful, wonderful drink recipe and then ran out of strawberries and watermelon. And so I instead just made a daiquiri and it is rapidly turning like a disgusting color that is not pink. 
as it melts. Fuck it. <laughs> but it is a very good strawberry daiquiri. It's just not a very pretty strawberry daiquiri. Oh, and and I didn't even try because I'm so tired. I just was like, I need the most sugar I can put in my body at once. So I'm just sitting here drinking a Midori Sour. I really need to get back to doing something fun, a, a fun riff on the drinks. I used to be so <laughs> bright eyed and bushy tailed. And now I'm just like, wow, I've gotten so tired <laughs> in my old age of 34. <laughs> We're a little rusty. So sleepy. We'll get back to it. It's okay. It's going to, it's going to be fine. Next, next time we've got some fun, some fun drink possibilities. So we'll get to Maybe that. Maybe I'll do that. Yes. Yeah. I'll make, I'll get frisky. Yes. So today we're talking about making promises. So I guess the first thing we need to do is define like what we mean by making promises. What do people mean when they say make promises? <laughs> to me, it means when you open a book and you're reading the very first pages, the very first chapter, you're forming like an idea of what type of book you're going in for. And there are other things that formulate this idea, the back blurb copy and the cover art and stuff, but the author doesn't really have a lot. I mean, you have some control, depends on your contract, um, but you have ultimate control over the text and that can give clues too. So like when you open a book and you read the first chapter, you kind of get a vibe for like the kind of book you're in for. And that's kind of what we're talking about is like, let them know early what they're signing up for. <laughs> If they're signing up for sex, make it so. If they're signing up for comedy, make it so. If they're signing up for... The thing is, like, somebody likes to read a book that's funny and they open up the first chapter and they don't feel it in the first chapter, they're going to be like, ah, I want to read something funnier. This isn't Captain Underpants. I want more Captain Underpants. And they're going to go <laughs> and find Captain Underpants in a different book because you're not entertaining them enough like on the first chapter, the one that, that like I'm working on a historical fiction right now, for instance, but it's, it has a paranormal aspect to it. So, I mean, I have a, I have a crash, a UFO crash landing in the, um, like in the first seven pages. So like I'm, and, and I've also set the tone with like using that dialect that I was talking about, like trying to find my legs in the book mm -hmm. as far as like what do these characters sound like in their head is this a smart narrator is this a kind is he slow is he like like what kind of personality does he have let's get that in there and then like what what do i need to get the reader prepared for this really weird adventure i'm about to take them on well let's start it with a ufo crash landing they also already see that this is not our time period, right? I, mean, I didn't know. I don't ever say what year it is mm -hmm. out loud, but I, I leave like breadcrumbs on the pages to sort of give the reader the hint that, okay, this isn't taking place in modern times because this person has no electricity. They have no, you know, and I make that stuff known. And that's kind of like what you want to do up front, like mm -hmm. the vibe, the tone, as it were, yeah. right? In my book, um, there's, it's, it's not technically a fantasy romance but it does definitely have some romantic elements it is a little more sexy in places and so i've got a it's a very light quick fade to black sex scene pretty early on <laughs> i think it's in like chapter three because <laughs> it's like hey yep. this is going to be a part of this book this is a part of these characters lives this is a very sex positive society and buckle in <laughs> yep you want the reader to know this stuff and it's not you know uh, I hate this. So some people are like, oh, 
including me, by the way, I do. I do this. I'm like, oh, I don't want to put this like in the first two chapters because I don't want to scare the reader away with the heaviness. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. No, no. Mm-hmm. You definitely do want to scare the reader away with the heaviness, because the thing is, is if if that reader isn't in it to read the heaviness, then they're probably not the right reader for your book. You want to be like pretty open in your the beginning of your book about what this is going to be like, what kind of ride are they going to be on so that the people who know they're going to like that ride are like, yes, this is exactly what I'm looking for. And the people who aren't really into that can like put it down on the Barnes and Noble and be like, you know what, this is for somebody else. Yeah. And it's really important to, to get rid of the people that you don't want because the people that you do want are going to be drawn in by the same thing that somebody else might not have liked. And those are the people you want. Yeah. Um, the people that are going to finish the book and then they're going to look for that all through your book. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that is the setup we're talking about. Yes. And I've got a little note here um, that I kind of wanted to just briefly kind of go over like the types of promises, because we had talked about like content and kind of tone and style, like general vibe. Um, So one of them is tone. So like you said, if it's a comedic book, if it's like a snarky book, if it's, you know, a very like almost purple prosy, like lush, slow paced book. That's kind of like the tone. A lot in the voice. In the voice. Yep. Um, POVs. Yep. If you've got multiple POVs, you're going to want to kind of indicate that pretty early. Um, I'm not going to say like do one page in one POV and then the other, but don't do like the first six chapters in one POV and then start changing POVs every chapter. Yeah. In fact, do the second chapter in a different yeah. point, of, you know, point of view, like, because otherwise... Like, cause if you get two chapters, like, let's say you're doing that thing where you're naming your chapters by the character that's in that point mm-hmm. of view. If you have, if you give Chris two chapters in a row, people are going to be like, hmm, <laughs> what? And and it's going to be a little confusing. Mm-hmm. And like, make sure to, to show your reader up front. This is Chris. This is Amanda. And we're going to be going between them the entire time mm-hmm. or something like that. That is a promise. Mm-hmm. The way you handle your chapter headers is a promise. Yeah. One of the other promises is character. So this is really basically like who your character is. So even from like page one, they're going to start getting an idea of who your character is. Are they, you know, a little more ruthless? Are they more pragmatic? Are they more tenderhearted? Are they more optimistic? And so you kind of want to give them like a feel of who that character is pretty early on. And we talked about multi-POV, so later you're going to introduce other characters. But the character you're introducing on page one, you want them to kind of start getting a feel for who they are pretty early. I think Mm -hmm. pausing on character for a moment and like kind of dissecting that is really important because as I recall, when I was in the querying trenches, (laughs) there was a lot of... You know, you you get all those things, and then the, if you go to if you read any agent and like an interview, or you or you watch them on YouTube and you hear what they want, or you catch them in an interview, a lot of the things they say is they want a character that drags them in in the first few pages. They want um they want to know the character has agency. They want to know the character has a desire because the desire in the first chapter is what makes us keep reading, whether or not you think it is. Open any book. And you will see, typically in the first chapter, you know exactly what the character wants, and you start to get the sense that it might not happen the way they want it to. Mm-hmm. And that's that is a promise, and that's the that that is what agents look for when an agent reads your pages, your first seven pages. They're looking for promises. They're looking, can this writer set this shit up so that I can understand what's going on? Where is the character? What does the character want? is this character going to make me leap forward with momentum? And 
being able to write a character that really, really wants something or like, let's say they're obsessed. My character in the book that I'm writing currently, he's obsessed with something and he's recreating the thing he's obsessed with. And that is like, okay, you're going to go, you're about to go on a ride where this character takes this thing they're obsessed with all the way through the whole book. And you're going to, you're going to see how this obsession changes their lives. And that's what, that's what a character promises. And and that one is really, really important, guys. Like, you got to get that one on the page. Like, linger on it. As a reader, you're reading it and going, I know how books work. How are we going to subvert this? Or how are we going to wreck this person? <laughs> I, I love the moment of writing a book for the very first time. And you're like, stepping into that first chapter, you're like, okay, how am I going to do this? And for me... I write the rough draft of a first chapter and then I find the pieces that made me want to keep writing. And then I'm like, okay, this is nice. How do I make it nicer? And then I just like, <laughs> like max it out times 10. Okay. Like we have this really interesting thing here. Okay. Let's blow it up. Like let's enlarge this a lot and see what happens. And, and that's the, that's the big promise. It's like, this is what, this is the thing that I'm writing this book for. Mm -hmm. I love this. And then that's when you sort of start rolling um, in the writing process. And I, and I promise you, if you spend your time in chapter one and get yourself super into the promise of the character and what the character wants, you are going to yeet yourself so far <laughs> toward the end of your book. It's going to feel so good. You won't feel that momentum if you don't do it, at least not me. You know, I can have a whole storyline set out for me, but if my promises aren't in chapter one telling me that that's what I get to write soon, like I get to take this and then write that, that's, they're, they're as much for the reader as they are for you, yeah. you know? It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I agree. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. Okay, so we have two more types of promises to go through real quick. <laughs> um, one is scope. So that's going to tell you, like, kind of get, give you the vibe. Are you in for something that's a very, like, contained story and, like, like a bunch of people locked in a, you know, a haunted mansion. This is going to be very small. There's a small cast of characters. Or are we talking epic fantasy? We're going to be like sprawling across kingdoms. The cast of characters is going to be George R. R. Martin sized. You want a sense of that pretty early on from the first chapter or so um, to just kind of know how big or small of a story to expect. A long time ago in a kingdom far, far away. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, like that, that, you know, that, that sentence is awful, but it does do a lot, you know, <laughs> like this is going to be about something crazy well and even just you know if you start your story with some take or twist on once upon a time you know you're in for like you know kind of a fairy tale type whimsical story which just kind of also goes back yes. to tone. so yeah you kind of want to know how big and grand of a story which admittedly most readers are going to kind of know based on like i said the blurb and like how hefty of a novel they have picked up <laughs> but it helps to to emphasize that and don't think that just because your story has a small scope that there's no way to show that. Mm -hmm. um, when I think about uh, one of the, I wrote um, my my project Infinite Wishes that has an opening paragraph. It's very sm it, it it's got a big like a very small world, and um, the way that I kind of do that is I. I, the first paragraph is basically the character obsessing over his father's dementia. And you can then see how small, like just how, like how he views the world. Like he spends all his time with his, his father who has dementia and, and 
that to him is basically of utmost importance. There is nothing else. Like this is all there is. And there's your scope right there. It doesn't need to be, it doesn't have to be vast to show it on the page. When you open up that book and you read the first page, you're like, okay, I am, this character is very shut in. Um, and you can feel it right away. Uh, that's kind of stuff we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and then kind of the last one, which kind of ties in with that a little bit is genre and or structure. So if you're writing a sci-fi, let us know pretty early on that it's a sci-fi. Um, I've had some where it feels like a just kind of standard contemporary. And then like you had mentioned, you have like a historical, but you've got the UFO landing pretty early so that people know that there's speculative elements. Yep. Whereas, you know, I've, I've beta read stories and I've read published stories where they don't, it's like the twist in like chapter five that dun, 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 this is not a normal. I'm like, well, by then I've already settled in for a certain type of story. <laughs> and it's like, what, what, what? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Let me tell you what, if I left that UFO scene out and somebody who loved historical fiction, just historical fiction, picked it up and was like, <laughs> I had left the UFO scene out and then put it at the end of chapter two, they'd be so pissed. <laughs> like the fuck i wasn't here for you i want to know about labrador like i want to know about old labrador and i want to follow some normal characters around for once leave me alone like you want to get that stuff in the yes. first chapter for sure oh man i can't i can't tell you how pissed i would be if i started a book that like started kind of fantasy and i was like yeah 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 and then all of a sudden it became science fiction i'd be like you didn't you didn't just do this to me. Why would you do this to me? <laughs> or if like the character woke up and the fantasy part was a dream and now he's like in a normal world and you're like, what? what? No, I, w I want I dragons. Oh, there's a great example of this in movies. Uh, Treasure Planet. Treasure Planet is the perfect marriage of science fiction and fantasy. And like, I, I'm talking about the movie. Um, and uh, if you if the, you you see the opening scene and it's like they're in a a tavern, mm -hmm. it's very fantasy. But there's some individuals in the tavern that don't look they're not normal humans. They're not they have eight eyes or like six arms and they're working in this tavern. And you're like, okay, this is a very fantasy tavern, but it is full of fucking aliens. Yeah. So you kind of know right away this is going to be a mix of both fantasy. And sci-fi because if 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 it just started in a tavern and there was no aliens and all of a sudden there was a, a ship that goes into outer space you'd be like oh man fuck this <laughs> if you weren't like into it you know <laughs> mm -hmm. and kind of related to genre we also had structure um, which is if you have like a some sort of different so not different because people use them but if you have a sort of structure that's a very specific you want it you want people to know that so if you've got multiple timelines if you're like you know going back and forth in different timelines if you're doing this kind of relates to povs if you're doing like parts of the book are like little interludes that are just like a paragraph that are like an epigraph or anything like that if you've got a framing device where a character's like telling somebody the story later you want to open with that um, instead of like getting partway through the story and then being like s stopping the dialogue and being like, so grandmother's telling me this. And you're like, wait, no, this grandmother was where, where did grandmother come from? Who the fuck is grandma? If, yeah. If there's a framing device, you almost always open straight up with the framing device. Um, 
there's I have an example later, but you start off with the person starting to tell the story and then you go into the story so that when that person pops up again, you go, ah, we're back in the present, quote unquote. Yeah. Yep. So. Which I did in my last book. The, the people that, it, you know, it's in the submission process right now. And I can't, you know, I can't say much, but like it. <laughs> I think the editors who get it and don't want it know right away because I have, it's very, it's structured mm -hmm. very weird. The framing is very weird and it's on the first page. I'm not going to mm -hmm. waste the editor's time. If they don't want something like that on in their, in their book arsenal, they're going to pass pretty fast. Um, so, you know, don't waste, you know, don't waste people's time. Get on the page. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really the gist of this whole thing is you don't want to waste people's time because if somebody picks up a book, flips through the first few pages and goes, oh, this is just not my type of book. Like you said, at Barnes & Noble, they're just going to put it back down and they'll be fine. And later they might pick up something from you and be like, oh, that, that book wasn't really for me, but I'll try it. But if they get halfway through the book and then feel betrayed, they will not buy a book from you ever again. <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I have I have read so many authors where I'm like, oh, I am mad now. And I just have not gone back to buy any of their books. You know, I'll give an author a chance, you know, uh -huh. every once in a while. But I, I can think of numerous ones where I've been promised something. And then if something doesn't happen or there's something changes in the middle of the book. And I'm like, I, I'm mad. I had to, like, put the book down and go <laughs> sip some tea or take a shot or something because I'm mad. <laughs> I'm super mad. <laughs> yes, you don't want to make readers mad. That's the whole point. Um, but I did want to kind of touch on very quickly, just so that we'll talk about a little bit more about it later. Foreshadowing is a little different than promises. Promises are kind of the categories we talked about, like tone and structure and character. Foreshadowing do tend to be more plot based and they do tend to be a little more specific. But because I think there might be some confusion, I wanted to kind of put them yeah. both in the same episode so we will get to foreshadowing here in a little bit i just wanted to touch on that but going back to promises now so how we how do you do promises well we kind of gave a couple of examples but what do you want to like keep in mind i liked your idea of like roughing out the chapter and then going back through the first and second chapters mm -hmm. and with the like a specific pass for promises i tell you what i really like to do and before I start writing a book, I I do like to develop my one liner, you know, the mm -hmm. the uh, the 200 word pitch, if you will. The elevator because pitch. that that it, the pitch is a promise of its own. And when when you write yourself a pitch of the book, you want it to grab you, you want it to excite you. And then when you go to start writing your first chapter, you need to ask yourself how is my first chapter set me up to get to that pitch? When I write my first chapter, I like to make sure that they are, they complement each other big time. Yeah. Because the pitch is a promise. And then your first chapter is a huge promise. You want them to kind of match. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I opinion. think that's true. Like figuring out what your through line is and just making sure that's there from page one. Yeah. Uh-huh. So speaking of page one and chapter one, what about prologues? <laughs> We've touched on prologues. We have a whole mini episode on prologues and epilogues. Do you think they can help or hurt promises or that it just doesn't it, it, either way? <laughs> First of all, I just, 
I so, there's so many people that have beefs against prologues. I think we have an episode on mm-hmm. prologues or something somewhere where I just say just don't call it a fucking prologue. Yeah. Like, I do think that prologues can be done right, but writing prologue at the top of your chapter, that's almost a promise of this is going to be a highbrow fantasy, and it's going to make your book seem inaccessible to a lot of people really fast. Because, you know, not everyone wants a highbrow fantasy, that sort of thing. Like, Mm -hmm. it's going to shut a lot of people out right away, just because of the connotation um and that's the sort of promise i see in that so like i like to call them something different make the book humble it can be a prologue it can take place i think my first chapter in my current book takes 11 years before the actual book starts but it's its own chapter i don't think it's really a prologue um i think that prologues can help if they're called something else um because like let's say okay I have a book on the, my project that I just let go for now. Um, I, It is a fantasy, but it also has a lot of elements that take place on Earth. And there's, there's two different places, but one place is a lot more fantastical than, than the place on Earth. So I have a small two-page introduction, let's call it, that sort of shows how deep the fantasy is. And then this, the, the first real full chapter takes place on earth it's completely normal quote unquote it is an average day in somebody's life and you're and my goal there was to get the reader to think how the hell does that prologue in this first chapter how does how does this work how are they in the same book and and so in that way it can help like if you're trying to set i guess a a a precedent so that the reader has some knowledge going forward that maybe the point of views you're going to be reading later don't have, but the reader wants you to have that knowledge. And then you can be like, okay, I am the keeper of that knowledge. I know that now. And I'm going to go forth and read this book with that knowledge. (laughs) So in that way, I think it can help. I think in a lot of ways, the prologue can help um, by setting one of these promises. If your opening chapter cannot, um, which is, is that's relative whether your chapter can or can't. Um, But in Cambiare, the prologue is i treat it like the cold open in like a police procedural tv show where you see like the random person and then they get murdered and in dun, the, dun. In the, like in the police procedural that's how this works is you see like random person <laughs> or it's, it's a random person and they find a body and then it cuts to like the cast of like the detectives like hanging out and joking around and you're like oh now they're gonna get called to solve this murder but if it just started with them joking around you wouldn't realize it's a murder show except it is a police procedural but you know what i mean Um, (laughs) but you know you want want to start with like there's gonna be murder mystery and then you can kind of cut to the jokey bits which is kind of what happened with my book where the the prologue sets up that there are going to be some darker tones uh because it does do the thing where the next scene, the real, quote unquote, real, the first scene we see with our main character is kind of a little brighter, a little more optimistic. And that's that's setting the tone of like, it's going to get darker, we promise. <laughs> so I think yeah. prologues can help. Um, but I think, like mm-hmm. you said, just treat them like they're another chapter. Yeah. Yeah. I would just, you know, I don't have an issue with prologues, but just, you know, listen to that episode and... uh heed the advice on maybe coming <laughs> up with something more intriguing to call it so the yeah. agents aren't like meh, meh, meh. yes and then they like stick your 
like a query letter and a garbage grinder. I don't know what they do. <laughs> they throw it in a chimenea, roast some marshmallows over yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. They print it. Kumbaya. <laughs> and then put it in a chimenea. <laughs> they really were mad about that prologue. <laughs> no all the things we're taught to hate uh yeah there's there's so many there's so many random we should make a whole episode of like the things that people hate that we're we hate to hate we hate that they hate Uh, yeah very meta yeah it's like just because you heard somebody on twitter say it's bad doesn't mean you have to think it's bad don't be a sheep (laughs) (laughs) so we kind of talked about i'm looking at a little Scrooped here and it says how soon do you want to make start making promises but we talked about that you want to start immediately one. paragraph one if you can sentence one yeah <laughs> paragraph one word as one fast as possible <laughs> yes. um but i did actually list a couple of examples um i just kind of randomly pulled a couple of books off of my shelf and was like how do these books set promises um and so one of the ones that i picked was the book vicious by v.e schwab um, which is in her villain series. It's kind of a superhero. It's like a dark superhero story uh, where kind of everybody's morally gray. Um, it's a revenge story. So it opens with two of the main characters digging up a dead body in the middle of the night and just talking about bringing the dead body back to life very like pragmatically. So, you know, you're kind of in for a dark story with dark themes. We've got dead bodies. You're so that's kind of your tone. It also um, kind of gives you character because these two characters are very like matter of fact about we're going to resurrect this dead guy. So you can, <laughs> and you and from the way the character talks, from the way the character thinks, all the little clues that you're getting in the voice, you can kind of tell that this main character is very calculating, very determined. And also one of the reasons I kind of pulled this one is that this book has multiple timelines. The parts of it take place in the past, parts of it take place in the present. And it jumps pretty quickly. I think uh, switches timelines after a couple of pages. So after a couple of pages, you get like your little chapter two time frame, whatever year. So you know that now we're back to decades or 10. I think it's 10 years is the difference. So you're getting within the first like chapter and a half, you're getting character, you're getting tone, and you're getting structure. So that's a good one. Yeah. And then we had talked about framing devices. And so one of my easiest quick references for framing devices was Robin Hobb, Farseer. It opens with Fitz starting to try to tell the history of the world basically he's like the history of the kingdoms you know the history of the six duchies and then he starts to like get real personal with it it's like the history of the six duchies starts with this and you know the king so-and-so and 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 the first you know then and he goes on he's like and then you know then the me and then my people that were mad and then the royal family's kind of a piece of shit and wait wait no i got personal nope nope i I can't tell this history without telling my history. So I guess I'm just going to tell you my history. And so, you know, this is like the first page. So, you know, okay, he's going to be instrumental to the history of this kingdom. It's going to be an epic story about this kingdom. You get the scope and you know that he's going to be a central figure in this epic story. You're going to know that he's bitter as hell. He's also bitter. And now you're going to find out all the reasons why. And it's going to be a good time. You also can tell... From page one, he's kind of emo as shit. <laughs> emo as shit. Sorry, Fitz, but you are very emo. Sorry, Fitz. He's super emo. Very emo. Um, so yeah, do you have any other kind of like examples that you have in mind or anything? You kind of brought up some earlier too. 
You know, I honestly, I just think any good book does this. They really do. You know, it's I could sit and list books all day long. Um, I I can only think of the books in my head that didn't do a good job, and I'm not going to sit here and call them out. I uh, I think just any good book, you know, look for this and read a lot of first chapters. <laughs> Find the ones that you like, like drop the rest. You know, I think a lot of people walk into a book thinking I have to finish this and then they get like really really down on themselves when they don't finish it but like make it a practice to just like go and read first chapters and like try to pick out what the writer's doing and then finish the books where the writer promises you some promises you something that you really like <laughs> and then put the rest down and then as you learn to do that you'll learn to write your own first chapters and be like I this is the kind of reader that I want and I'm okay with not having the other readers yeah yeah so, okay, so we kind of touched on, we were going to go back to foreshadowing a little bit. So foreshadowing is different because it does usually involve plot points. Um, so you'll kind of leave little clues that a twist is going to happen so that when the twist happens, people are like, I should have seen that coming. Or, you know, you'll leave kind of drop hints that your your main character is an unreliable narrator so that once that's revealed, it makes sense. Um, or even sometimes it's very blatant foreshadowing, especially in older stories. Like in Lord of the Rings, there's some line about Gandalf being like, ah, don't discount Gollum. I feel like he's got a part to play in all of this. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, at the end, Gollum accidentally inadvertently help save the day so that one's much more blatant yes but in the back in the days something is like a prophecy in your story if it's a you know chosen one story with a prophecy of some sort um that is a form of foreshadowing also we couldn't talk about foreshadowing without talking about Chekhov's gun yeah, yeah Chekhov's gun I'm sure most writers who are listening to this podcast have heard of Chekhov's gun. Uh, but if you haven't, it was, um, I'm trying to remember Chekhov's first name. I'm terrible. Uh, let's see here. I will look it up. I will consult the tomes. <laughs> consult the tomes. I will consult the tomes. Um, it appears nobody wants to tell me his first name. Anton. Someone in the chat says Anton, Anton. Chekhov. Anton oh, Chekhov. That's Chekhov. I didn't actually think it was Anton Chekhov, so I didn't even say anything, but it is Anton Chekhov. It is. Okay. So right. he had mentioned the quote, like the that if you're if you're writing a play and there's a gun hanging on the wall in act one, that gun better go off in act three. Because it's very blatant. And you when once you're a writer, you really pick up on these, even the ones that are meant to be kind of subtle, you'll be like, huh camera lingered like especially if you're watching movies movies is really bad because you'd be like camera lingered on that random thing for like half a second more than it should have that's going to be important <laughs> so yes. that is an element of foreshadowing and that's fine it, it can kind of actually help your reader because later they can be like ah see i saw there it is i knew it yes i knew it and then it makes them oh, feel I really love good Ant about themselves I, I love i love anton chekhov's gun <laughs> I've used it in almost every book I've written. <laughs> it's not a gun. I tend to do it by accident. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in the first drafts. I later like finesse it, but in the first draft, I tend I leave myself intentional checkoffs guns I don't know how I'm gonna use yet. I just like drop things in. I'm like, we're gonna put something weird in this scene. And then later maybe I'll figure out how to use it. And if I don't, then I'll cut it and edit. <laughs> yes. And sometimes I get to act three and I'm like, oh, 
that thing I put there, they can use that now. But one of the good examples I mentioned, it's one of the like classic examples of Chekhov's gun uh, is in the movie Jaws. Uh, in the movie Jaws, uh, Brody knocks over like one of the air tanks and one of the other characters is like, don't do that. They can explode. <laughs> and then later <laughs> they use the exploding tank to kill the shark. <laughs> Someone says, I like averted Chekhov's gun. The gun is mentioned, never used. That one can be really fun, too. Just there to mess you up. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes you do have to be careful with that just in that it still has to feel satisfying that it's never used. And it can be very, very much because people can be like, ah, especially if there's like a different solution. And people are like, I see what you did. If, if you want that kind of uh, Chekhov's gun, go read uh, Gone Girl, I think has it. And also Hunting Annabelle. Those two books have the most amazing. Um, yeah, that, yeah. That, those are good ones. They set it up and they show you the gun and you think about the gun the entire book. Mm -hmm. And then the gun never goes off and you're like, oh, you. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. And the chat just mentioned that it is best used in whodunits. And it is like yes. whodunits and mysteries and thrillers are where it's really good because that's where people are. People go, once again, this is making promises. People go into a thriller and a whodunit kind of expecting to be outwitted. They're kind of hoping that you outwit them in a way that. Yep. They want you to fool them. Yeah. They want you to fool them and then be like. I should have seen that. That's when uh, it's the best. It's like, ah, you got me. Especially when you're like reading the book the entire time. Like this writer thinks that they've got me figured out and they think that they know what I'm thinking, but I know what they're doing. And then you have no idea anyway. And you're like, oh, you got mm -hmm. me. <laughs> Gone Girl just overall is a good example of that one, which now it's yeah. like, you know, every, I don't say everybody, not everybody's read it, but most people, even if you haven't read it, or seeing the movie, you know, through cultural osmosis, kind of what happens. But when it first came out, it was like a big, like, whoa, wh what? Because <laughs> the clues yeah. were all there, but you were looking at the wrong ones. Yep. Yep. And if you like, if you like Gone Girl, go read Haunting Annabelle mm -hmm. by Wendy Hurd. That's also a really good one that I just loved the end of. Some people some people don't but i did mm -hmm. god damn it I that did. is a risk of the the averted checkoff's gun that is a risk is you're you're gonna have readers that love it and readers that don't but yeah the ones that do love it are going to be really into it <laughs> i i do want to mention and i think a lot of people when you mention foreshadowing and making promises specifically uh especially when you're using foreshadowing to make promises Everybody, I think, or a lot of people, I think, think that foreshadowing needs to be subtle or, like, something only some people notice. And I love a good foreshadowing that only I notice and, like, maybe another reader doesn't. That's always fun. But foreshadowing isn't always subtle. Um, it can be very loud. Yeah. That good, loud foreshadow is a great promise throughout a whole book. And one of my favorite ones, and I, I always remember, I haven't read this book for years, and I don't think I ever finished it because I didn't have the attention span <laughs> back then that I do now, but it, Peter F. Hamilton wrote um, P Pandora's Star. And in the first chapter of the book, I still remember the character is like looking through a telescope and a star disappears. And it's like, it, the way it's written is just like, it's so, it's foreshadowing, 
Because <laughs> the promise is like you're about you're gonna find out why the star has disappeared, and it's very you know it's very in your face. It's not subtle at all, and that kind of foreshadowing is also very good because you're giving the reader information that they can then take with them through the entire book. Um, and that sort of foreshadowing is also kind of what we're talking about. That's a huge promise. That's saying this is this is where the plot starts. This is where the, the story begins. That star just disappeared and I'm about to yeet you through the reasons why. That's also good foreshadowing. Foreshadowing does not always have to be subtle. It does not always have to be sneaky. It can be right there. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's awesome. Yeah. Sometimes the character can notice it as much as you do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then it can also, it, you can still have an element of tension and suspense in there because the reader can be going, okay, I saw that. Is this a misdirect? <laughs> or is this, is this really going to happen? And so it still leads to like a little bit of tension there, even if it is really blatant. Because for example, with the Lord of the Rings, Gandalf being like, ah, Gollum's got a part to play. You're like, well, what part? <laughs> What's he going to do? <laughs> I don't know. And you're like reading the whole book and you're like, uh, is he going to, is he going to, you know, turn fully good? Is he going to go full Smeagol? Yeah. Well, the great, the great thing about Gollum is that scene, you know, depending on what book you're talking about, I personally like the Hobbit where he's in the cave and Bilbo hasn't quite found the ring yet. And, and they're in that cave together. And some of the things that, um, Gollum is saying while he's in that cave you're like what does he mean by this like what why is he saying that and like later you you realize uh he used to be mm -hmm. a, a, a hobbit some you know and, and you know like that's foreshadow that's very subtle foreshadowing as to like what he used mm -hmm. to be before he was Gollum and I think Gollum's a great example of great foreshadowing yeah. okay well we've got about 15 minutes left so i'm gonna let people if anybody has any questions in chat or anything you want to like comment talk about related to foreshadowing and or promises um let us know uh, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on i feel like there was something else i wanted to say and i don't remember what it is anymore it's gone now <laughs> did you cover this ah! uh when in the writing revising process yes do that's what we need to do is when do you add it um, I add it yes. usually <laughs> I start to add it after I, the way my writing process goes, is I do a really, really, really ugly zero draft and then I rewrite the whole thing. And usually that's when I start layering in the foreshadowing because that's when I start having a better idea of the structure. Um, and then I just refine it in each pass. And yeah, sometimes I get to the end and I'm like, it'd be really cool if they had like this weapon here that they could use. I should go put that there in act two. It's Bill and Ted. <laughs> Bill and Ted's excellent adventure when they're like, hey, we should go back in time and put that there. So we have it. And then they turn around and it's there and they're like, we did it before. Yes. It's like that. But while writing a story. Yes. And sometimes it's not just like in one part in the very beginning. Sometimes the foreshadowing takes mm -hmm. place the entire book. And it's like the, re the writer will very geniusly put it in front of your face the entire time you're reading the book it's right there the whole time and though when when a writer can do that it's very cool but you kind of need to decide when you're writing do do you want it to be up front like is this good like i the the book that i just dropped like there is there's a lot of characters that know a lot of things the entire time and the reader sort of gets, gets peace and so 
the reader is kind of like, there's something going mm-hmm. time and they're trying to figure out what's going on um, through the whole book. Or, you know, some people just put it right in the beginning. I've written a book like that as well, where it's just there's just one little drop right there in the beginning. <laughs> and that's all you need. I think early. Yeah. Is and better. it can be. It can be really, like you said, really subtle or really blatant. Um, You can also foreshadow things in future books if it's a series. Um, That can be really rewarding for readers who get to like book four and they're like, I knew when they mentioned this in book one, it was going to be a Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, I have, it's really, really small, but there is a bit of foreshadowing (laughs) in Cambiare that nobody is going to pick up on until the series is over. It's like a one throwaway line that if people read the whole series and go back to book one, they're going to read it and go you are and i'm like yes yes <laughs> i yes. did yes i did I did that on purpose that was me thanks for being there <laughs> i did it and i did it on purpose i would do it again no regrets um someone said oh george R. R. martin is super good at laying early pieces of foreshadowing reading game of thrones after knowing how things go is incredible you know i have not gone back and reread it it is interesting. I mean, it would make sense because he is like a really, he's, he's very good at laying out a lot of pieces and like weaving them all together. So I can imagine that there would mm-hmm. probably be some good ones in there. Well, and I remember there were some things in there that I even, cause I fell off the series partway through. Um, I read through most of the ones that were published at the time, but even in book one there, it was the thing where there are certain things where you're like, is that going to come back later? Like when they're talking about like the... Like the forest, the children of the forest or whatever they're called. You're like, that's going to come back in. Is that going to be a thing? I don't know. And so they're, they're leaving the little breadcrumbs for you to follow. And it's that like, are you going to do something with this? Or are you not going to do something with this? I don't know. You want to keep them guessing, but not confused. And I don't think I have anything else to say. Yeah, I think we kind of covered. I think we said a lot of good stuff. Yeah. I think we did pretty good for both being completely exhausted this week. Yeah, we're both really tired this week. So maybe we just take uh, take this 10 minutes and uh, meditate. Go listen to some crazy weird ASMR. Oh, yeah. Go take a nap. Yeah. Or, you know, go go revisit your first chapter. Yes. You know, with all that tired brain. Okay. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Okay. We'll just end this one a little bit early. It'll be nope. a little bit shorter episode. That'll be fine. We can do that sometimes. We do what we want. Yeah. It's our podcast. Um, our next. <laughs> yes, it absolutely is our podcast. We can leave whenever the hell we want. <laughs> and we're leaving now. Our next live stream will be on March 31st. It's about filter words. And hopefully we have the brains to edit <laughs> by then. Yes. That episode is cursed. That episode has been postponed like three times. <laughs> Yeah, because we've been too tired to edit out filter words. (laughs) Because it takes work. Uh Um, We will also have a special bonus audio episode dropping on March 27th. Um, It's an interview with author AZ Louise. We discuss poetry and the process of writing as a neurodivergent author. There's some very emotional stuff that we discuss. It's fun. Have a nice listen to it when it comes out. And you can find everything you need about the podcast at anditswriting.com. Um, look us up anywhere you listen to podcasts, podcatchers, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everywhere. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at And It's Writing. Um, we do also have an Instagram at And It's Writing. I need to update it more. Uh, but we exist. Go follow us. I promise I'll do stuff with it. Uh, <laughs> and then also, if you like what you're hearing, join our Discord group. There's links on our website. 
Uh, thank you so much for joining us and we will see you again soon. Bye. Bye.